Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, the host. <clears throat> it's been a beautiful day here in Western North Carolina and also over in East Tennessee. We got up this morning and went over to Cosby, Tennessee, and we went for a hike at a place called Hemwallow Falls, and it was hot, to say the least. By the time we got done with that hike, my clothes were really well hydrated, and I was really dehydrated, to be honest with you. I, it, it was... I didn't take enough water, didn't plan for the day well enough that it was going to be that hot and that uh, humid today. It was a beautiful walk and a really nice walk, but it was, it's been a funny day. I mean, it starts with fiascos, and it's just fiasco after fiasco one way or another. I mean, nothing huge, but, but it was just, I don't know, there, there's something quite not right about the day. So I hope this goes well. We'll see. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was a really nice day. We had a great time over there and all that kind of stuff. I've had a pretty good week for week, what, 757 of the whole COVID mess. Um, I think probably I exaggerated a little bit, but it just it's, we're, we're getting to the place where I feel like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to end? It's unbelievable. Um, but I've gotten more of my normal life back. Uh, but still, it's, we're not close. You know, like it's, we're, we're still a long way from whatever normal is. And so I'm hopeful as we move towards fall that we don't have this second round of this so that we can move into life again and we can begin to, to sort of regain some normalcy in our lives. But it's, it's that time. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful for that. But like I said, it was a long day. It was an odd day. But anyway. We're good to go. So what we've got today is we, we, I want to start with the gospel again. There's a reason that I've been doing that the last couple of weeks, by the way. And the reason is this. I want you to see, this has one, been one of my biggest goals, is to help you see that the gospel is there all through the Bible. It's there all through the Old Testament. In the story today that we have in the Old Testament, it's about Joseph's brothers throwing him in the pit. In Genesis 37, and, and so what I want you to see in that, I'm going to bring it out just a little bit. There's a whole lot more that I could bring out, and again, I'm going to do this in that Genesis thing. And, and the purpose is to get you to see that God, it's the same message all the way through. And I want you to, to see a little bit of Joseph is um, kind of a type of Jesus, there's, there's things that go on in his life and in that story in particular that I think show us God's plan, show us God's plan all along. And, and they show us the sovereignty of God and the providential nature of everything in life. And so we can focus on um, the, the quote, bad things that happen to us in life, or we can actually get the mind of Christ, which is what Paul talked about a couple of weeks ago in our Romans lesson, that all things work together for good for those who know Christ and are called according to his purpose. So we've, we've got to get that mind, and Joseph is the first person that we see actually in Scripture who has the mind of Christ about those kind of matters. And, and all the bad things that happened to him in his life, he ultimately says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The point 
that Joseph had in mind was God had a long-range plan. Jacob never seemed fully, his father never seemed to fully embrace that idea. It just, to him, at some times, it seems that, that he just felt like it's just one thing after another. And he, he focused on those things, and those are the things he held on to. Joseph seems to have been a better man than his father. He didn't start out so much so. But we'll talk about that a little bit um, today, because we're going to focus on it, because I want you to see, and I want you to love the Old Testament, um, not because it's great stories and great storytelling, but because the gospel's there. And so today's gospel reading is actually from Matthew 14, 22 to 33. And so you remember last week, Jesus was trying to get away to a solitary place or a desolate place, and the crowds followed him there. And he healed their sick. And this is after the death of John the Baptist. Um, he healed their sick, and then he fed them. In spite of the fact that he had nothing to feed them with, and the disciples wanted them sent away so that they could go actually buy their own meal. So here we are today going to the next scene, which is that same day. He had the disciples go get in the boat and go across the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the place where he met them, the place where he called those disciples. Because remember, these guys, a lot of them were fishermen who were accustomed to being on the Sea of Galilee every day of their lives. So he, Jesus tells them to go on to the other side of the sea, the lake, and he dismisses the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up by the, to the mountain by himself to pray. So he, he was able to get that space and time, but only because he created it, but only, only because he had done these other things. And so he, the, the validation of the ministry was there after John's been beheaded by Herod. <clears throat> so here we go. And Jesus does all this ministry. And then finally, in the night, no rest, no nothing, has the time to pray and be alone with the Father. And he knows at this point, time is short. If they can come and they can kill John, then he knows that his own time is short. So, so he's getting away with the Father to get his bearings, to get the plan, and to get the comfort that he needs because he knows these things. So the evening comes, and Jesus was there alone. But the boat was a long way from the land, and so there was the wind was against them, and they weren't making any headway as they came across the sea. And so in the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But the disciples saw him. They were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. These fishermen who made their living on that lake, see, at night, because that's when you fish, you mend your nets in the day, you sleep, and then you go back out at night when it's not so hot and the fish are up closer to the top. So he comes to them, and these fishermen who are working are now utterly terrified. And they cried out in fear, believing a ghost had come to them. Now we'll leave aside the issue of ghosts. We won't talk about what that means. 
ghosts. Who's believing in ghosts? They believe in ghosts. Jesus immediately speaks to them, though, and says, Take heart, it is I, be not afraid. They didn't believe that. They, they were still not sure. It made no sense. Jesus is walking on the sea. Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, that's how I know they didn't believe it. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he, Jesus, said, come. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, and how do you see the wind? You see its effect on the surface of the water, the surface that you're standing on. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. It's the second time. Terrified earlier, afraid now. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. Oh, ye of little faith. Peter's the only one who got out of the boat. The only one who walked on water. But his faith failed him when he saw the wind. He's walking on the sea. <laughs> and then he sees the waves, which means he sees the wind. And his faith failed. And Jesus says, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Well, because it was scary and because what we were doing was insane. It's no, it's not possible that I did what I just did. And so his doubts overcame him. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. How often... That's the story of our lives. When we begin to follow Jesus, I, I remember being in Rwanda and I was going out. We're going to be gone for the day. I was up in Shira Diocese, up in Ruangari, and I was going from there up to Shira, actually, which is in the mountains, and went up there. It's this rocky, volcanic road. But as we got ready to go, the bishop said, this was on a Saturday, he said, oh, by the way, you're preaching in the cathedral tomorrow morning. Emma now. And I'm going to be gone all day. I'm getting into a Jeep, and I'm going to be gone for the day. That day was filled with all kinds of crazy things. We stopped and helped some people who were stuck in the mud. And I had an interpreter with me, and then there was also a driver. And after I said, hey, why don't we get out and help these people, he very reluctantly agreed to do so. We got out, we helped them, and got, the, got them on their way in the truck. And, and they were pleased and waved at us and thanked us. And it was awkward, but hey, I didn't speak the language. I didn't know that it was awkward, to be honest with you. So we get back in the, in our vehicle and start going on our way. And he's, the driver said something to the interpreter, and, and she laughed. And I said, what did he say? And he said, this man is very brave. I said, well, why did he say that? He said, because... Those people are rebels. The Civil War is still going on, and, and he just got out and helped them. And I said, no, 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 I'm not brave at all. I'm ignorant. I had no earthly idea that I was in any sort of danger at all. So in that situation, I was going to reverse it. Peter, I had no idea. I thought I was being a good Samaritan. No. I um, stepped into the middle of the Civil War without knowing. So it, you can have bravery with it. So and then we had several other things that happened that day. Well, that, that night, when I finally got back, 
and had dinner and hung out with the bishop and everybody else, then, then I had a few minutes where I could actually prepare something for the next day. So I, I looked and the psalm talked about the voice of the Lord and the voice of the Lord makes the trees writhe. It makes the mountains tremble. And I, and I thought, God, I'm going to talk about the voice of the Lord tomorrow. But I didn't know what I was going to say about it. So what I ended up with was two things that you can reliably know are from the Lord. And the first thing is follow me. God always tells his people to follow him. He's taking you on an adventure. He's taking you somewhere. There's a destination in mind. And, and he calls you into service, into proclamation. And, and then the, the second thing you could guarantee is God's voice when he says it is fear not. And, and so the point is, well, why, if I'm following the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, why does he need to say fear not? And it's because he takes you places you don't want to go because there's stuff to fear there. There's places where your faith has possibility of failing you all the time. Ask the disciples, whom apostles, whose lives after Jesus was resurrected were painful in many, many ways. So there's always places where our faith can fail because God's going to call us to walk on water if we're willing to let him say come and we're willing to obey. He's going to call us into situations and places where we ultimately rather not be. And he's going to take us places we'd rather not go. There's going to be painful times. There's going to be difficult times. Jesus promised that right from the start. Hey, if they don't like me, they're certainly not going to like you any better. If you're my representatives. It doesn't mean that all of life in serving God is going to be difficult. It means that a chunk of it's going to be. There's going to be places where your faith is going to be tested. And, and it's frequently going to come completely out of the blue. And you're going to be totally disoriented. Because nothing is going to make any sense to you. Sometimes it's not going to make any sense because God's doing something so incredible in, before your eyes, like Peter was with walking on water, that, that you're going to be totally disoriented that this could even be happening in a good way. And then there are going to be times when suddenly you get disoriented because you see the wind in that situation. And, and that disorientation is going to have you calling out, Lord, save me. And he will, ultimately. It's a promise that our lives of service to him are going to be difficult. It's going to be a promise that the world will hate us because they hated him. And so there are times when we can be disoriented by life because we thought we knew what God's plan was for our lives. We thought we saw a future and a destiny and we're pursuing that destiny. And, and God's given great favor to that. And then suddenly maybe something happens, an illness to you, something crazy in your family that affects you all the time. And you're disoriented. And the point is not to get disillusioned with God. Sometimes disillusion is a good thing because we get disillusioned because we're living in an illusion. And that needs to be shattered. That that security of the world illusion needs to be shattered sometimes. We're trusting in the wrong thing. Here Peter has nothing to trust in 
except Jesus. Jesus is standing on the water with Peter. And Peter cries out to him, Lord, save me. So he believed in Jesus. He didn't believe in himself. He didn't believe that what he was doing was possible. Now, the other side of that is the good news of these things is, is found in our Romans passage. And, and Paul is writing to the Romans after a lifetime, probably of service. Before he goes to Rome, he said, I've always wanted to see you and I'm coming to you. And he does, but he goes not of his own free will. He goes as a prisoner. He makes it to Rome, all right, as a prisoner in prison in Rome. So Paul had a hope, a plan, and a future. He knew. He saw what God was calling him to do. And he ended up fulfilling it, but not the way that he probably envisioned. But Paul writes to the Romans to encourage them in their faith. He writes to them encouraging them that faith is the way to salvation. It's not about works righteousness. Because he starts off by saying in Romans 10, 5 to 15, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live with them. But the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven that is to bring Christ Jesus down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring him up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It requires both those things. You can't just believe in the heart without confessing with the mouth. In the Episcopal prayer book, there, there are prayers, there's a prayer there where we pray for those whose faith is known only to God. My mentor, Chuck Murphy, said, nope, we're taking that out. We're not going to pray that for this very reason. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Your faith can't be known only to God. The intent is for you to speak that faith so that others might evaluate it, evaluate your claim. But it's going to be based on the proclamation that Jesus was risen from the dead, which was attested by many witnesses. But it's also going to be your faith is going to be measured and attested by your life. So you can't keep it to yourself and hide it because that's living in fear. So Paul says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. And then he, he says that applies to everybody, by the way. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? unless they are sent, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That is not a passage for preachers. That's a passage for all Christians, those who confess with their mouths and believe in their heart. Because if, if you confess with your mouth that you're a Christian, your life will show whether or not you believe in your heart. 
Are you living in fear? Are you living like the rest of the world? Are you living like everybody else, people who are not Christians? Can anybody tell the difference, not just in your attitudes and not just in the things that you uh, say and the things that you vote, the things that you whatever? No, by your life. What's most important to you? Are you afraid? Are you living in fear? Or are you living for eternity? Keeping that always in mind. The world needs to hear. It needs to hear from Christians. But it needs to see that faith as well. Thinking about this, in all these things, in this week we had a friend who was one of the most beautiful proclaimers of the word and teachers of the word I've ever seen in my life. Her ministry touched thousands and thousands of people all over this country and all over the world. God used her powerfully. But for the last 15 plus years, she's been sick and she struggled well with that sickness. She struggled with joy. She continued to do what God called her to do as long as he gave her an opportunity to do it, the strength to do it. She proclaimed to the end. She died this week. And I'm broken over it because I remember so many wonderful times hearing her speak, not just in a setting where she's preaching, but all the time in her life. The woman was filled with joy constantly. I don't know what she felt inside, but she never ever allowed that to overcome her joy and her hope and her wonder at the opportunity she had to affect so many lives. It's an amazing thing to watch. She was an incredible woman. And we miss her deeply. And even though we haven't seen each other much since we moved here from where we served before, she's one of God's special ones. No matter what she went through, and she had been through much before she had got sick, no matter what she went through, never, ever saw her anything other than joyful. Her witness matched her words. It's the way that we're called to live. Now we're going to move on to the Genesis passages. Genesis 37 is most of that chapter, actually. And if you don't know the story, then I highly encourage you to read it. There's a lot there. Jacob, the youngest born son, the son of Rachel, He's not the youngest. Benjamin's the youngest. But, but Jacob is the one who was the delight of his father. Joseph. Sorry, I said Jacob. <coughs> Joseph <laughs> was Rachel's. Suzanne just reminded me that's mm-hmm. wrong. <coughs> Joseph was the youngest. Well, not the youngest again. But Rachel's son, the wife that, that his father Jacob loved. And here we get Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of the others, and he brought a bad report of them to their father. They didn't like him. (laughs) They didn't like him at all because he had dreams, and in his dreams, he would be the one that everybody else bowed down to. They didn't like him. (laughs) They couldn't speak at peace with him, is what we're told. They didn't like him because his father loved him. And, and then he made him a robe. Whether it's striped or many colors, we're not real sure. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. They knew. You know, hey, you know, 
as a, as a, as a kid, as an adult, who you know, you know who mom's favorite is, you know who dad's favorite is, whatever. And but they didn't hate him until he got that robe, because they saw that their father loved him. There was a tangible evidence of it. Before that, it could be snickered about. You could look at each other, roll your eyes, and say, "Well, he's dad's favorite." But now he made a distinction among them publicly with this robe. So his brother then, brothers then are sent out and they're to pasture their flock near Shechem. And Jacob, Israel, says to Joseph, aren't your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. That's what Abraham said to God when God tested him and said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love. But first he had called him and Abraham said, here I am. Later, Isaac, as they're walking up the mountain, his dad's mind is not present with him. He's his father. He says, here I am. Later, much later in time, Isaiah will say the same thing. Here I am. The Lord said me. Here, Joseph says, here I am. It's one single Hebrew word, hinani. So that one single word isn't used very often. And so it, it strikes your attention when you run across Hinani. There's something going on. That should heighten our awareness. Something important and not particularly good is likely to happen here. And so Jacob calls him and he says, Hinani, here I am. So he says, go, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. What he's actually saying there is it peaceable among your brothers. It's a really odd thing. I don't know why we don't translate it that way, but that's what he says. It's see if it's peaceable with your brothers and then bring me word. Well, he's already brought a bad report of his brothers in the past. So that he comes out, having done that, having had the dreams, and now they hate him and can't speak peacefully to him because of this robe. He goes, and Jacob had to know this. And, he, and then there's this weird digression in the text where he's on his way to Shechem and he, he gets there and he, a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, what are you looking for? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they've gone away. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. It's this weird little digression here, but they're not in Shechem. And I'll talk about that more in the Genesis class because Shechem is an important place. It plays a part in three not so good things that happen in the life of the people. So he goes to Dothan. The only other time I can think of right offhand where you see Dothan is it's where Elisha is. And, the, and they've come to kill him. And his servant is concerned because they're surrounded by all these people, all these, these forces. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes to Dothan. And, and his servant sees that the people in most danger are actually the enemy forces because the angel armies <laughs> have them surrounded. It's a longer, there's more to the story than that, but that's Dothan. And so that's where these, that's where he goes searching for his brothers. They see him from a distance and they, they're so angry with him that they said, let's kill him. Here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits, which would be a place where water would collect in the, um, in the wilderness to be able to, to water uh, and pasture the flocks. And so let's throw him in there. And then we'll say a fierce animal has devoured him and we'll see what then will become of his dreams. They're not going to come true because he's going to die. 
And then Reuben said, hey, let's not do that, actually. And so they took a deep breath because he said, shed no blood. Just throw him into one of the pits here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. That lay a hand on him thing, it's also connected to that whole take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him because that's what the angel says. Don't touch him. Don't lay a hand on him. It's the same language. He says, don't lay a hand on him. And, and then it says, in parenthetically, sort of, that he, Reuben, might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. He sees this is getting out of control. And, and so he makes a suggestion, hey, let's, no, we can't kill our brother. Just don't shed any blood here. Just throw him in the pit. And he'll die. Was the implication? So, but, but Reuben had a plan to come get him later. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of that robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There's no water in it, which is what should have been there. Which sets up, by the way, what comes after this when Joseph goes down, and that is there's a famine because there's a drought. And so here we get a little bit of the heads up that oh, they, they threw him into a pit, and then they sat down to. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh and on their way down to Egypt. And Judah said, Judah, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? That goes back to Cain and Abel. <clears throat> Come, let's send him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. So they're now identifying with him a little bit more, except let's, let's get rid of him. Let's just get rid of him. Let's just sell him to these Ishmaelites because he's our brother, our own flesh. Ishmael, remember, was their grandfather's brother. He was his half-brother. That's the people. Let's sell him to them. He's our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. And then, see, this is one of those things where people go, I, I, I don't think I knew that. Midianite traders passed by. Those are not Ishmaelites. And they, the Midianites, drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And then they, the Ishmaelites, took him to Egypt. Joseph ultimately becomes the man through whom God saves his people. They go to Egypt after many years. They go to Egypt, and there they meet this man, Joseph. They don't know his name. He's been given a different name because he's living in Pharaoh's household. He's been given an Egyptian name, we assume, and they don't know who he is, and then he ends up saving him. Joseph was a brash, obnoxious young man who told his dreams in order that his brothers would see that he was the chosen. And they rejected him for that. They resented him for that. And attempted to do away with him because he was special. But they weren't able to do that. Not only that, they weren't able to actually make a profit out of it because they didn't sell him. Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? This, is there something familiar about this? There's this chosen one who's thrown into a pit by 
his brothers. They've rejected him, and they've determined that they want to kill him. They've stripped him of his robe. It's the only thing of value. Like the soldiers at the cross who took Jesus' robe and gambled for it. He's, this one's suddenly gone. When Reuben goes back to rescue him, he's gone. The pit, the tomb, is empty. And they don't know what should happen next. And so they come up with a story. They don't know what's happened. But they will know later because they will see him again. And he will be their savior. Exactly the way the disciples found that Jesus didn't just save them from sinking on the sea. He saved them from death. He saved them from an eternity apart from heaven. They were all saved. The whole family was saved. The story can continue because of these Ishmaelite traders, the Midianite traders. No. It continues because God. That's the only story here that matters. It continues because God. You see, it's his story. It's not the story of Joseph. Joseph's a major character in the story, but it's not his story. It's God's story. He has been taken up into God's story. Not in the most pleasant way, but Joseph's life now becomes part of God's story. And the breaking of Joseph and the changing of Joseph comes about, and we see through his life, we see on and on, that God used all the circumstances of his life in order to save his people. But that doesn't mean Joseph's life was insignificant. God was working in Joseph's life, but his life became part of that much larger story in the same way that our lives are meant to be part of that much greater story. But we're called to step out in faith. Like I said, sometimes it's not pleasant, and sometimes that's because something in us needs to change. Sometimes that's not the case. But sometimes it is. And so how we respond to adversity, how we respond to difficulty matters. And it matters ultimately. Not just in the moment. But everything we do is eternal consequences. There's no other way to explain how two um, Bedouins in the wilderness several thousand years ago could look at each other and say, well, look, I'm not having a child yet. Maybe God didn't mean for me to. And they made a decision that he would sleep with a maid. And that explains the situation in the world today, the enmity between people in the world today. The descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, either in the flesh or by faith. Everything we do has potentially eternal consequences. No decision should be undertaken lightly. Nothing we do should we consider to be insignificant? Everything is significant because you're significant to him. He came in the likeness of men in order to save us. But he also came in the likeness of men in order to save you. Live by faith. Walk by faith. Allow him to direct your steps. Fear not. 
but follow him. This is Faith Seeking Understanding. Thanks for being on the journey with me. If you've got any questions or comments or whatever, then go to the Facebook page where you see at the top it says website over on the right-hand side, just above the link for the um, for the podcast. You'll see website. You can click there. It'll take you to the Faith Seeking Understanding Facebook page, and you can contact us there. I hope you have a blessed week, and I hope God goes before you in all things.